becomes like a fleeting memory. Whatever you grab just turns to dust. Like eye contact with a stranger, stranger out of the It's a dream that you to make real. Passing note of the song. Glimmer, glimmer of the ship being seen. Do my hair? Do your hair. <laughs> Does it not look good? <laughs> okay. You good to go? Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah. I feel good. Do you feel good? I feel excellent. Excellent? <laughs> I don't feel excellent, but I feel good. Well, I just like to overstate things. Yeah. <laughs> Cheers. To the shores. To the shores. Hmm. It's like, I feel like if I'm doing good, I need to be like, oh, I'm doing, I'm doing excellent, man. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, it takes me that one step over good just by saying it that way. I feel like you can manifest mm. a, a better mood by overstating. Yeah. Yeah. You, I guess you could do the opposite too. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm real shitty. <laughs> Horrible. Well, like, oh, I guess I'm not really that bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Uh, hmm. Yeah, there's, there's sometimes I do like, yeah, I'm good. I'm like, well, I don't know. Like some guy asked me that. And, uh, Am I good? And uh, he's like, how you been doing? And I was like, I was like, ah, you know what? I don't know. He's like, huh? I never, no one's ever answered that way to me. <laughs> I was like, well, I kind of have to think about it. It depends on what 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 area you're talking about, like business wise or uh, with my wife, with my kids, <laughs> yeah, with, right. my, with Matt, or you know, just an overall like, reading, like the temperature of the earth. <laughs> <laughs> We're about equator right now. Yeah. <laughs> Um, that's, that's such a fascinating problem as a human being mm. trying to figure out answers to impossible questions. Mm. Like, how are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess generally we all have a sort of like the, when someone asks us that you kind of go to this general space of like, how am I doing? And then if, unless you're like in, a, in extreme spaces, it could be you know, like you're overwhelmed with joy. It's like, Oh my gosh, man, I just got this new job or something like that. Yeah. And it just seems to me like anything other than doing great Mm. is totally inappropriate. (laughs) You know, like if you're over, if you're like doing like amazing, Mm -hmm. you're overwhelmed with joy and you respond that way. I think people receive that like, Whoa, you you don't need to be bragging, (laughs) you know, like, (laughs) yeah, you know, and then, you know, if somebody asks how you're doing and you're like, really bad. Hmm. They're like, Oh, that sounds like a lot. I, I was just <laughs> trying to be polite. You know? <laughs> yeah. Although I think that's why I like that is like that you kind of see people's reactions to it. Cause sometimes when you're like, Hey, how are you doing? You're like, dude, I'm fucking awesome. They're like, Huh? All right. Yeah. Okay. And then it sort of like picks them up a notch, you know, it's right. like you can kind of read the room a little bit more. Like, how you doing? Take a little while to answer. And you're like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> think about that for a little bit. <laughs> right. I mean, it's all relationship contextual to the relationship, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Maybe that's part of growing up and becoming socialized as you learn to read the room, mm. understand what your relationships are and what they can bear, how much truth they can bear. Yeah. Um, I, I, I had this uh, analogy that I used to work out in my head when I was thinking about meeting new people. Mm. And it's something like, you meet somebody new, especially if you're dating and you, you go on a first date with somebody, you sort of start with a bit of, like a tiny, like one foot by one foot s- square foundation, mm-hmm. which is like, 
you know, we liked each other enough to go out, whatever that foundation consists of, you don't really know, you know, and you could have been totally wrong about the way that you read the situation. And so then you start kind of building up some, you, you put some testers out. It's like you're, you're putting some planks up trying to see if you can start building a structure out of this relationship. And, and then, you know, you might have an answer. They ask you a question and your answer, your true answer, you have a sense like this structure can't bear the weight of my true answer yet. So you maybe kind of start erecting some pylons that could eventually bear the weight of that answer. But for now, it's like, we're just testing that, putting some things up, see if you can stand having the pylon over here, see mm -hmm. if you can stand expanding the foundation out this way. And when a relationship <clears throat> goes well, whether it's a dating relationship or a new friendship or, you know, just like somebody that you interact with uh, on a daily basis in a, in a, in a short encounter, hmm. um, going about your life, you, I think we all had the experience that sometimes that process is wonderfully creative and surprisingly productive. You know, you test things out and you're hmm. like immediately like, holy shit, this is solid ground. And like, oh, wow, this part of the structure that we kind of stumbled into is, is taking shape more quickly than I would have imagined. And then you kind of can start to play with it. And, you know, at some point you say, Oh, I'm going to take some risks here hmm. and say, and you, they ask you a question and you think, I don't know if the structure can bear the weight of my true answer, but you know, we've built enough of the structure, even if it destroys some of it, we'll still have some place to retreat to and we can hmm. try it another way. Yeah. And so, you know, you lay it on them mm. <laughs> and sometimes it breaks down in <laughs> catastrophic fashion. Uh -huh. Um, you know, and sometimes in dating relationships that results in getting ghosted or mm. even told like, Hey, this isn't going to work or whatever for reasons that you may not understand because mm. they're not going to take the time to explain it to you. Um, but it's kind of a fun analogy to play with when you're considering the ways in which you you figure out the appropriate ways to interact with somebody truthfully, mm. which is, it's like building up to it. Mm. That's what's exciting about relationship too. And why the idea of like starting to date with a list of boxes that must be checked is so boring. Hmm. Maybe to some degree you do, you need to have some like certain boxes that are like, that cuts out the the pool of sure. people, but yeah, but well, I get your I get I get your main sense of it though. Well, I mean, I'm working. I'm not talking here specifically about romantic relationships. I'm mm -hmm. talking about relationships in general. And something C.S. Lewis said is uh, that all friendships begin with the question "You too." Hmm. Like you meet somebody and you discover that they have some partially secret or hidden interest in something that not many people do that you share mm. like, Oh, you too. You like, mm. I don't know. Rap music. <laughs> Rap music. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, and sometimes that's not enough. Sometimes mm. that doesn't cause a, a friendship to blossom because mm. an, enough of the other things don't align. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, maybe there are some boxes that need to be checked, but I think it, in any kind of relationship that you're trying to build on, build the structure out around, it's the process of discovery and the surprise. David Wilcox has this great song about love where he says, I love the wild surprise in your eye, something like that, when you, when you explain to me why, how I'm wrong, essentially. Hmm. 
Um, and that discovery of another person in the, in the structure that you're building together is, I think where all of the delight is the delight isn't finding necessarily that we align on a certain thing, list of things. It's how us interacting about those things changes us and shows us new things and new games that we can play in this room and that room, Mm. this checked box and this checked box. Yeah, it does seem like there's certain times in your life where you're, you are open more to that exploration. And there's other times where you're a little bit more closed off to it. And, you know, one's a professional situation. Like you were just talking about how you, you interview people. It's like there's a certain amount of structure that you're also kind of pushing the envelope to see if it breaks. You know, and that's kind of, that's kind of one of the aspects of interviewing is where does this conversation break down? And that will help me determine whether this person is a good candidate or not. Yeah. You said I was just talking about that. You met before the podcast podcast, at dinner. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just for the listeners (laughs) situational awareness. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Or even thinking like in a, in a date or something, you you kind of get this feeling of like, Oh, I don't know if this is really, if I really want to spend my time doing this. So you might throw out a a, a more of a bigger bomb, right? Just to, just to test it. If like, yeah, if this is going to break, let's just go ahead and get it broken. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The interview process is, is strangely like that. It's like you go through a progression of courting a candidate, which the HR recruiter does. And then, um, a vetting on the phone with somebody at the company. And then generally a process of, of, uh, rooting out. So like throwing bombs, essentially like for hiring technical people, we put them through a number of tests to see if they can pass. And these tests are Mm. designed to be difficult and to figure out where people fail. Um, and that's kind of like the stress testing of the structure of the relationship. And then by the time they get to the final interview, it's a bit more like, okay, the, we think the structure is going to stand. How are you going to operate from that? Mm. You know, can you, can you carry on an unstructured informal conversation about your competency and your talent in a way which is collaborative and productive? Mm. And if you can, it's like kind of like, okay, we checked all those boxes. It's like, yeah. You can build up a structure. We have shared foundation. You, you, you know, you meet the minimum requirements of understanding ba- the basics of architecture and interior design. You know, just sticking with the analogy, mm-hmm. um, we've we've tried to destroy some things and they've held up. Now, can you play? Mm. Can can we have a collaborative, productive game within this shared space? And if you can, you know, it's not a, it's not a. a a slam dunk necessarily, mm-hmm. you know, just like some people break up and some friendships end. And, but I do think that when you're hiring somebody into a company, it is, I mean, it's the same, it's establishing a relationship just like any other. Hmm. Yeah. Which is interesting too, because you'd also approach that differently with your kids because you have so much sort of historical knowledge and knowing, knowing their maturity and, mm-hmm. and, you know, the, the ability to kind of, maybe bring the bombshells whenever they're needed and when not to, mm-hmm. to like kind of allow your kids to have more freedom and not, not push them on certain things. You're like, Hey, do you like anybody at school? It's like, mm-hmm. you're kind of coaxing them yeah. out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's, I think there definitely is that sort of maturity level too, especially maybe even in, in business also is like, you're 
super knowledgeable about something and you're talking to somebody that's somewhat knowledgeable and it's like, you don't want to just make them feel stupid, but at the same time you want to push them a little bit and mm. see how far they can kind of play. Like you were just saying, yeah. How far can you play with me in this, you know, and, right. uh, invite them out onto the field mm-hmm. <laughs> and spar a little bit, maybe. <laughs> yeah. That's a good word. Yeah. Spar. And, and are you even interested in that? Mm. You know, or are you just, you just kind of want to show up and, and be here and check yeah. the boxes and collect the check and, which is hilarious. Like there is that part too in friendship and, um, you know, uh, there's this, there's this instance in the, in the, I'm talking a lot about the sauna lately, but, uh, me and this one guy were having like a kind of a pretty deep conversation. And then this other guy jumps in talking about something, some heavy metal, something or another. And just the conversation just went completely off in that, in his direction. And like, mm. he wasn't really aware of like the, the cadence of the conversation. Right. And so it's like, you just kind of saw both of us kind of pivot towards his, his take, you know, did it feel like the flow state was broken? Yeah, it was, it was broken and kind of moved into more of sort of his competency. And it wasn't like, it wasn't as if even it was even like we were invited to play as sort of like, Hey, I'm playing this game. So Y'all yeah. can play if you want. Or, yeah. Or if not, I'm just going to keep playing this game while you're still playing your other game. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, well, it doesn't really work if I'm playing baseball and you're playing soccer. <laughs> you know, it's like we kind of have to. So usually you kind of have to like figure out, if, okay, in order for this to work here. Yeah. <laughs> we need to like play soccer with this dude. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm so fascinated by the way in which children invent games. Hmm. Hmm. because they play games and those games have rules because a game has to have rules to be a game. Mm-hmm. There's no such thing as a game without rules. Um, but children invent games, but it's not like they start by inventing rules. Yeah. You know, they start by playing and seeing what feels fun. Mm-hmm. And then they sort of implicitly recognize when somebody breaks a rule, hmm. right? It's like, mm-hmm. wait, that was, you broke out of the spirit of play there. Mm. Maybe you hurt me physically or you hurt my feelings or you did something that was obvious to the rest of us that that was breaking rule and the rule wasn't established, but yeah. now it is because you broke it, you know? And, so uh, well, and whether or not the game continues is contingent upon whether or not the, the person who broke the rule recognizes they broke the rule mm. and begins to play by it. Or the alternative is, that individual gets sort of kicked out of the gameplay and that's the beginning of the invention of self-consciousness and, and potentially bullying depending on how far you take it. Yeah. Well, I always find, I really do find these things in conversation a lot. Like, you know, when you and I do the guys dinner, it's like, it, it is an unsaid rule sort of like there's five to seven of us and there's only one conversation happening that, mm-hmm. If you start having side conversations, it's like, that's not what we're doing here, you know? And it's not that we made that rule. I think I might explicit, I might have said, kind of framed some things beginning, but it's, it's, you know, but other times you're at a dinner party and it's like, you know, there's eight people there and there's four different conversations. It's totally fine. Right. And it's fun. And, uh, but just being able to kind of read the room of like, what is, what, what kind of conversation are we having here? You know? And, you know. I've been, I've been one recently where I was engaged with a group and someone kept trying to get me to engage one-on-one. I'm like, no, 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 we're, we're playing together here. You know, right? <laughs> it's like, it just totally threw me. Cause I was like, cause I was already engaged in the group conversation that we were having and, and 
kept trying to pull me into single. And I was like, ah, my brain just kind of went. <clears throat> I wonder if it seems to me that there's a difference between a group of people that get together where the precedent is let's hang out mm-hmm. or let's have a party. Mm-hmm. It's very much like the purpose is for us all to be together. Mm. And that tends to very quickly break up into individual groups of people having different conversations. But Mm. when you say, when you send out an invitation to somebody and you say something like, let's have a guy's dinner, Mm. you don't sort of show up expecting to hang out Mm -hmm. necessarily. It's something different. It's more like there's a purpose, Mm. even though you might not know what that purpose is. No one may know what the purpose is, Mm. but you sit down at a table and everybody's aware of, okay, this is a guy's dinner. What does that mean? Either someone's going to define it or we're going to figure it out together Mm. So the, 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 it's like the rule going into it is we are all going to play one game, even Mm -hmm. if we don't know what that game is. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, it's a gathering. Right. Well, again, even just like, I really loved how you said, just talking about like the unsaid rules, like Allison's birthday on Saturday night, there was, you know, quite a few people over at the house and I even mentioned to you, I was like, we probably should go in and talk to everybody. Part of it was like, I didn't really want to. Yeah. Know? Yeah. And, and, you know, obviously we ended up talking with everyone throughout the night and stuff like that. But uh, I did kind of think I was like, there was a certain part. This is probably just my own confession here. I was like, not really honoring Allison and being in there with her during some of that, you know? So, mm-hmm. um, so it's interesting. I, I even see like how sometimes I, I fall, I don't, don't play the game that is somewhat unsaid, you know? Uh, not that Allison said anything about this to me, but I just well, even by your own recognition, mm-hmm. I mean, you have said many times over the years mm-hmm. that you know if you if you're at a party, you tend to escape to the <laughs> perimeter. Totally, you know, you uh, know that about yourself, and you yeah. know that you're breaking some rule. Uh-huh. Like I love, I read recently C.S. Lewis's um, "The Abolition of Man," mm. and he, I won't be able to like repeat the point he was making, but he's talking about the whole book is about essentially systems of values and where those come from. And, um, he makes the point that, um, he's responding to the sort of idea that values are relative to some sort of internal, uh, feeling. Hmm. And he makes the point in the book that no, they're not like, he said the point that children are delightful and old men are venerable Mm -hmm. is obviously true even if you don't like it. He said, I, for one, do not enjoy the company of small children, Hmm. but I recognize that as a defect in myself and not a refutation of the truth of that value. Hmm. And I thought that was such a, I think about that a lot because often we discover values because we discover we're breaking them just like rules. Like, I think the part of you, so just to set the stage for the um, scenario you were just explaining at Allison's birthday is, you know, it was sort of a, you, you've all had parties like this. Like you just invite a bunch of people, you say sometime between five and midnight, right? So I got there pretty early uh, just because I love y'all and I'd rather be <laughs> hanging out with you than whatever else I was doing. And so it was just us for a while and you and I started a fire and we were sitting out by the fire chatting and Allison was kind of helping the kids inside and then people started to arrive. And so we're out by the fire and we can see through the doors, people Mm -hmm. arriving and talking to Allison and this goes on for a while. And at some point you go, Oh, I should probably go in there and (laughs) 
be involved in that. You know, it's like you're, you're recognizing the value that you're, because you're breaking it. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was such Lewis said it in such a way that was honestly comforting to me. Hmm. Why comforting? Because I think that there's, there's a relief in the idea of recognizing that there is something that's true, even if I don't like it hmm. and it's okay for me to admit and I recognize that as a defect in myself. Hmm. Now I might want to do something about that. Hopefully I will, mm-hmm. but rather than just trying to convince myself that let's say, well, I'll put it back on him rather than Lewis trying to convince himself and everyone else that he really likes kids. Hmm. He's instead saying, no, I don't like kids. I think I should. I think I'm, I'm defective in that way, but that's the way things are, mm-hmm. you know, rather than feeling inclined to, bend toward the thing itself. Hmm. Cause I think we all do that all the time is we try to pretend we are a certain way because that's the way that will get us accepted. Hmm. And the relief is in saying, well, no, I don't have to pretend that I am that way, but I, I do have to be honest about how I feel about that yeah. and, and how I find that resolving with what I believe to be true. I even find that on the on the other side of that is sometimes even pretending helps me to actually do it and enjoy it too. Like, <clears throat> like the you know, there's a lot of different situations. Like we do things for Medici, and you know, kind of being the owner, I need to be a little bit more upfront and a little bit more. Uh, I don't know, not charismatic, but just amiable or whatever. And I, where I, like you said, like I usually like to go to the perimeters, you know? So, mm-hmm. uh, in, in these instances, it's like, I know that's not, that's not what I should do. You know, it's, it's something that I need to, it's like, cause I do love everyone there. It's not like I don't like people, <laughs> you know, it's like, I like right. people a lot, but right. just in social situations, I'd rather just kind of like be on the outskirts and kind of come in and out, <laughs> you know? So, uh, yeah, there's a. But they also find like in pretending that and 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 kind of uh, accepting that mantle, I end up enjoying it too. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, maybe I'm not as good as other people that are, are that are very, are a lot more charismatic and like to be in those situations. You know. Yeah. <clears throat> well, there's kind of two things in play there. You're bringing up the the idea of pretending is is good. It's relevant. We've talked about this before. I had this statement that I was mulling about, which was everything is pretend until it's not. Hmm. And the, the children inventing games is a great example of that. When children start playing a game, they're, they're they're not playing any particular game because they don't know the rules, Hmm. but they are pretending to play a game. Mm -hmm. And then it starts becoming not pretend once the rules are discovered and established. Now they're playing an actual game Hmm. and it's the same I think we talked about it on the podcast like a year ago because I had started, my daughter started cheering at high school football games and I started going to them and no, there were middle school football games. And I was just observing, observing that the football players and the cheerleaders, you know, mm-hmm. all these 12 year olds had no idea what they were doing, <laughs> uh-huh. you know, and mostly they were responding to the, the noises from the stands and the coach, like, Cheers means I'm doing something right. Okay, now what am I doing right? And I'm going to try to do that again. And like an, oh, no, means like mm-hmm. I didn't do something, you know. Mm-hmm. So they're pretending to play the game of football. Mm. 
And then as they go through that motion time and time again, they, they start actually playing football. It becomes an embodied thing that mm. they understand and they start doing for real. So I think it's your, your point is well taken that a lot of times if you, if you find something defective in yourself, like I'd rather just sit here by the fire, but I really feel like I should go in there and do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you desire to change that, you can do that by pretending and going in and saying, hello, like you really enjoy that, mm-hmm. which is, it's different than faking it. Yeah, totally. It's like, let me find the true parts of me that desire to do the thing that I don't desire. And this is the fractal nature of the truth. It's like, when you say something like, I'd rather be sitting here by the fire than go inside and schmooze or you know mm-hmm. socialize or whatever. It isn't that the fire is pure positive and the other one is pure negative. It's mm-hmm. like there's pros and cons and trade-offs to both of them. So it's like you go in and you say, I'm going to pretend to know what these trade-offs are. Mm. I'm going to pretend to engage in the parts of this that I, that I do like in, in a way that is forthright and authentic and pretend like that's going to be productive and, and, and create a positive social environment. And then likely it will. And there's also, there's also an element of exploring too, because there's, there's an element sometimes we will get ourselves into where we say, Oh, I don't do that. Or I'm not like that. Or I don't do that thing where you go inside. I just sit by the fire Mm -hmm. and, and that's just not true either. And there's something about, well, let me go and just explore and see what kind of rings true to me in this, in this situation. And maybe, maybe I might discover something about myself that I didn't know because I put myself in that situation. Oh, I love that. It reminds me of the line from T.S. Eliot when he says old men should be Uh, explorers, uh which is such a, an amazing line because you would imagine that old men would be comprised of knowns. Hmm. They know what to do. They know how they feel. They know what is what, Yeah, you know, but he says, no, you should be an explorer Hmm. as an old man. Yeah. Yeah, that is that is a fantastic line, which is nice too. It's like because as an older person, you've kind of you've kind of understood the parameters. You you kind of have looked at the map and 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 have everything sort of mapped out for the most part. You know, or at least where you can function in the world mm-hmm. fairly um, uh, effectively. You know, right. and there's something about. Well, what what do I not understand about this? Let me kind of get outside of my comfort zone. I think that that does become harder as you get older is getting outside your comfort zone or or putting yourself into situations that are different from what you're used to on a daily basis. Let me try it from a different angle, though, because I don't think I I sour a little bit at the idea of getting outside your comfort zone. Mm, Too cliche. Well, it's (laughs) it's not exactly that. Like Mm. um, I when I was in college, I went to a film conference. Mm-hmm. I was sort of briefly involved in the film industry. And I went to this conference and I heard this guy give a talk about screenwriting. And he said, the first rule of screenwriting is you have to understand your genre. Mm. And there are established genres mm. and you have to write in a genre. Cause if you don't write in a genre, no one will have any idea what you're talking about. Mm. Like you have to present loosely a package that, matches something that people understand. 
you know, there's this story of uh, when the Mayflower, whatever, Nina Pinta Santa Maria mm. uh, came over the first ships, you know, to uh, New England. There's a story that the Indians, some of them could see the ships and some of them couldn't native Americans. Uh, and I don't know if that's true or not, but the idea is that when something is new enough, if it's so new that you have no, you have no existing categories with which to fit it in, mm. you can be blind to it. So you have to start a story within a known genre and then in order to, for that genre to be known, you have to play by the rules of that genre. And every genre has rules. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, the, the movie Scream mm -hmm. is, is a whole exploration about the rules of horror mm -hmm. and how they play out. And then his third rule is once you have established the genre and played and exhibited to the audience that you know how to play by the rules of the genre, then you have to circumvent the rules. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't, your audience will be bored. So it's like... It's the same, I think, in sports mm -hmm. and in games. If you're, if you're going to play a game, you have to know what game you're playing. And then so that people know that you know what game you're playing and they know what game you're playing, you have to exhibit that you can play by the rules. Yeah. You know, but if you just do everything by the book, it's boring. Mm -hmm. You know, that's why a character like Maverick in Top Gun is mm. a character that's worth watching. You know, if that movie was about Iceman, mm -hmm. you'd be bored with that movie. It's like he goes up, he does everything right every time and wins except for a, a couple of times. And you're like, that's not a story. Mm -hmm. So you want the Maverick character, whether it's, you know, in Top Gun or in an old Western, to know the rules, mm. play by the rules, but also circumvent the rules because that's where the exciting things happen. Mm. And I think when, when... T.S. Eliot says old men should be explorers. I think what he's pointing to is, is nothing about comfort zones, but more about once you know the rules, hmm. like really know the rules of life because you're an old man, now you should play with them. Hmm. And that's where something transcendent can happen. That's when something can happen, which, you know, gets the attention of everybody in the room. Like, oh, and it pulls people together and it mm. pulls conversations together and it pulls a movie together or, mm -hmm. or makes a great athlete, a great athlete, you know? And yeah. so that's why we have, no, we got to stop and take a time out. Was he allowed to do that? I don't know. Was he, <laughs> was Michael Jordan allowed to jump that far? Do we even have a rule about where you can launch <laughs> off of, you know, it's like, yeah. it makes everybody stop and say, wait, what game are we watching? Uh -huh. You know? And if you can do that well, then we say you do it with honor. Maybe. Mm. Like you do that with, uh, we respect, we have respect for that. If you break the rules in some sort of, uh, nasty or corrupt or selfish way, that's, mm. that's not circumventing the genre. That's not playing with the rules. That's, um, you know, using something for your own advantage. Yeah. That's not exploration. Mm -hmm. It's not creative. It's not exploratory. I love it. As you were just describing all these different things, the, I just kept all these other stories were going through my head as far as people playing by the rules and, and, and then also breaking the rules and stuff. And I don't know if this exactly happened. This is, but it, it's sort of, you know, it was, it was a Michael Jordan story where uh, I forgot who it was like Kemp or somebody was 
guarding Michael and he was a rookie or something. And, and he was like doing great and shutting Michael down. And he broke the rule, which was he talked shit to Michael. And then like, he basically shut the guy down as like, and just scored like 50 points on him. And, and there's a sort of like, you know, it's like the rule now is like, is like, if you do got Michael down, don't talk shit to him. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's like, cause you, you excite the lion, you know, it's like, I feel like I remember that from watching uh-huh. what was that documentary series about the bulls? Uh-huh. Yeah. There's like, there's a whole bunch of these examples. I get, for some reason, once you kind of watch one of these clips, like you get all these clips and I, I, there's like, I can almost, I can think of like seven or eight of these. That, yeah. But it was like, he discovered that there wasn't an explicit or, or even mm-hmm. spoken and recognized rule yeah. that you don't talk shit to Jordan after shutting him down. But then mm-hmm. like, once you try it, and you see that that oh that ignited in him the the biggest point spree I don't know what you would call it yeah, of all time you're like oh okay new rule yeah <laughs> yeah don't excite him yeah uh, yeah yeah it's funny it's like it's it's like it's like everybody knew that but no one no one like that wasn't like a rule that's that was made it just sort of like you just don't talk shit to Michael you yeah. Know? Or even Larry Bird. I, yeah. Sorry, I was about to go off on another. I've been really enjoying a bunch of these basketball clips. Like, there's this one guy who's this black guy who's listened to uh, Larry Bird when he was uh, on the uh, playing college basketball. And they're like, Bird, Bird this, Bird that. He's like, man, this guy is like on fire. You know, this black guy's just killing everybody. You know? <laughs> and then we got home, we learned that he was white. He was like, oh. Whoa! <laughs> Where'd this guy come from? <laughs> it was hilarious. Wait, because you were listening to it on the radio? Yeah, or he was listening to it okay. on the radio. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, when he got home and found out that Larry was white, he was just like, hmm. "No, I didn't think a white boy could do that." <laughs> no. Yeah, I, I'm, I find myself really fascinated by this this conversation <laughs> because there's something so necessary about rules Mm -hmm. and yet also if rule if the rules are the highest art form let's say Mm -hmm. everything dies you know it's like switch to a musical analogy like i went to i got my undergrad in my bachelor in music so i went you know and for four years studied music all day every day and Mm. you know there's all kinds of rules in music, obviously, um, more rules than you'd ever imagine in certain eras of classical composition. Hmm. Um, you know, but you could establish just a rule like this note on this place on this page means play this key on this piano. And you put a bunch of those together and now you have a song. And if you play by the rules, you play the song Mm -hmm. you would think, but you, you can imagine that somebody just pl- who just plays what's on the paper, you have no interest in hearing them, them play that because there's no life in it. You know, it's when you hear somebody perform a piece of music, they're not performing what's on the page. Hmm. They are performing what's in their heart. If it's engaging, Yeah, they're performing what's in the moment and, and what is, eliciting reaction from those who are listening, you know, it's relational in that respect. Mm -hmm. Um, but they also can't do that very well if they don't learn the rules. 
if they don't learn to read the sheet music, if they don't learn what all of these symbols mean that were written hundreds of years ago. And it's the same with every genre of music. You know, classical is generally performed with a sheet of music in front of you, whereas jazz is not. Mm -hmm. But jazz doesn't have any less rules. You just, you need to learn them and embody them. Hmm. And you can tell if you go to a jazz club when a player is playing by the rules, which means they're playing jazz and it's boring. And Mm -hmm. it sounds to you something like um, elevator music. Mm -hmm. But if, if they know the rules and they can play with the rules, that is exhilarating. Hey, I got a question for you. As you're you're describing this, I wonder, and I'll put this in a dichotomy, in a binary, but I, 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 I see the, it's, it's a little bit more gray than this, but I can see certain people, they work from the rules out and other people work from out to the rules. So like you have something, you, you, you feel like you understand something and then you have to go learn the rules and understand what you, what you think or what you feel. And other people like will learn the rules and then kind of escape into the sort of like the idea of yeah. something. Cause I, I, um, cause I, 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 as we describe these things, I see, I know a lot of sort of rule followers that then discover the, the jazz or the, you know, the, um, however you were describing it, whatever's what's beyond jazz. Beyond jazz? Oh, I always said jazz was just playing things by the rule. Or, oh, no, no. I oh. was saying that there is a set of rules in jazz. Oh, in They're jazz, just not okay. written down on paper like they are in classical music. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Like maybe the difference between classical and jazz or something like that. It's like, yeah. it's like there's like, there's kind of like you're going from free form to rules and then others from rules to, to free form. But well, at some point you still have to learn, you have to know the rules because you can't communicate something. Yes. You know, it's like, but if you're like just, you have to know the language. The mm-hmm. Yeah. If you're just communicating rules, right. You're not really saying anything, but if you're also just talking gibberish mm-hmm. and you don't, you're not, there's no rules, there's no communication that happens. You know, I think people who start anything by learning the rules end up having a much harder time breaking out into something like expression mm-hmm. than people who find expression and then learn the rules. Mm. And you kind of know this just true because like it's a universally annoying, one of the universally annoying scenarios in life is when you sit down to play a card game with a group of people and somebody suggests a game that no one else knows mm-hmm. and they start to explain the rules mm-hmm. and you, everybody's just lost, you know, <laughs> they're starting, I'm, I'm going to get a drink. I'm going to get on my, it's like, nobody wants to listen to rules mm-hmm. because you don't have anything to do with them except to memorize them. They don't mm-hmm. mean anything to you until they come into practice. And a much mm-hmm. better way to teach anybody to play anything is to do something more like, well, let's just start mm-hmm. and I'll, exp- when you break a rule, I'll tell you, <laughs> you know, yeah. and that's also very annoying, mm-hmm. but that's, a, you're going to get a successful experience out of that. Yeah. Um, and I think it's true in general of, of other things like music too, is, you know, I think the common experience around, I don't know if this is happening with kids now. I mean, do kids even take piano lessons anymore? I mean, it used to be a common thing. Yeah. I've got one friend that, a couple of friends that do, do the, the whole piano and violin lesson yeah. thing. So, I mean, I think the experience in my family, like my, myself and both of my siblings took piano lessons. We were probably made to take piano lessons. Mm-hmm. And I think for each of us, we went and took the lessons and were 
sort of immediately annoyed and didn't want to do it, mm. you know, cause it's like, Hey, welcome kid. Here's a piano and here are some rules. Mm-hmm. And you're just kind of like, this is terrible. It's terribly boring. Mm-hmm. And then all of us eventually returned to it because we discovered some love of music in some other way. And then, then you saw a reason for the rules. Mm. Then you were like, Oh, what was that? You discover something for yourself and you're like, Oh, I remember Miss Arriga. She was our piano teacher. Mm-hmm telling me something about this drill with my left hand I could do. And then you do it and you're like, Oh, now I can play this thing that I had wanted to play. Mm -hmm. And to the extent that I've taught music lessons at all, which has not been very much, um, I've always had the most success in getting somebody to actually play an instrument. If I just say like, what do you want to play? What do you want to learn? Do you know how to play anything at all? How do, where do you want to improve? It's like, what, where's your interest drawing you? And let mm-hmm. me help you down that path rather yeah. than here's a bunch of rules. And if you learn them, you'll be able to play. Hmm. That may be true, but you'll also probably hate it. That's so hard. I mean, cause that, that was kind of the question I was going to throw at you after, after what you were saying. I was like, is like, where do you, where do you start? Because we've talked about this before in the past about, you know, if you don't know your alphabet and your semantics and syntax, you know, it's like you can't ever experience the, you know, T.S. Eliot or some of the great literature out there or learn about nuclear, uh, nuclear energy or physics and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Lewis has a great quote about that where he Mm -hmm. says, uh, young students complain about doing their, their grammar Mm -hmm. and their spelling and all of that. And they, they complain about it because they cannot imagine the pleasure that they will experience when they read the greats. Mm-hmm. So there's a problem there. I mean, you do have to impose discipline mm-hmm. on yourself. And if you are teaching somebody, you should be imposing discipline as well. But you got to be careful because you can, you can crush the, the budding interest mm-hmm. by doing it. So you kind of have to encourage the budding interest at the same time that you impose the discipline so that you can get them down the road far enough to where they see the light that they're moving toward mm-hmm. and they start wanting to move toward that. Yeah. It's like, like Emerson didn't read a whole lot. Like Hannah has been our like ferocious reader. Um, but once she found murder mysteries, it's sort of like, she just started like, <laughs> She's like, dad, I got three more books this week. So this will last me three days, you know, but she does it. But that was like really drew her into, you know, reading and stuff was mm. finding that subject that really like, uh, made her want to read and, and sit down with it, you know? So yeah, maybe there's, there are those things like, like right now for me, which I'm kind of jealous of you in is that there's a lot of things I'm interested in, but I have no, background in coding Mm. or computer language or any of that kind of stuff. I could get it conceptually and I would have to like, in order for me to understand things a little bit better, like I would need some basic level of, and it's just, I just have no idea where to start. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't, I don't plan on being a doing that for a living or anything like that, but I just, I just feel like I would need a certain basic understanding of those rules in order to really fully grasp, you know, and there's other things like, you know, with physics and some even business stuff that having more advanced math would, would be truly helpful. Right. Um, well, I mean, I think that's a great way. That's a great place to be in. it's like when you can see how some, how a discipline could be helpful, Mm -hmm. then you've got enough gumption and and reason to go be disciplined, even though you, you know, Mm -hmm. you're not sure exactly what that's pointed at. Mm -hmm. You just saw, 
you saw the glimmer of like, oh, I can't understand this thing because I have this big blind spot and this big blind spot seems to be physics. Yeah. And well, that's a huge blind spot. I don't mm-hmm. even know how big that thing is. Mm-hmm. You know, so where do you even start? And yeah. I mean, you just go all the way back to multiplication. <laughs> it's like, where do you, where do you start? But it is fascinating. I mean, as, as we get older, it's sort of, you know, you might have a certain rule set that you've mastered, but then you start encountering these other things that require other rule sets that you have to, mm-hmm. to master in order to pursue it past a, a certain level, you know, um, maybe not master, but at least have a good working understanding of, of the, of that skill set. you know, um, you can also see that whether you're managing people or, um, uh, you know, customer service, you know, like, you know, you might get along with certain subset of people like at work or, you know, our, our customer wise, but, you know, learning, learning new skills to get along with people you might not normally get along with. Mm-hmm. And it is a certain skill. It's like, you know, you know, maybe not judging somebody they, they come in with, uh, you know, a, a tie and a suit, you know, it's like, Oh, here's one of those stiff guys or something like that. And, you know, you know and just be like, huh, I wonder what this guy does. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, uh, it's like you kind of formulate these rules in your mind about how people act or dress or behave. And once you kind of set those rules up, it's, you kind of receive what you, what you kind of set up. But if you kind of open that up a little bit more, mm. it's like, you can be surprised and there's that, and you get to play a new game that is a game of discovery. You know, it's like, Hey, because again, we do this all, we all, we all do this. And this is actually really helpful is that we have certain subsets that we put people in and it's really helpful. Like here's someone walking to me and they kind of look a little shifty eyed and they're not dressed so well. It's like, okay, I'm going to put a little bit of a danger zone here, you know? And it's, that's healthy too, because that actually might be a dangerous situation. You don't know. And then you've come to find out it's like, Oh no, that's just, you know, this person's just awkward or weird or whatever. And, and so your, your, your definition kind of expands, but you still keep some of those, um, some of those parameters as far as like, what is danger? What is not danger? What is safe? What is not safe? And mm. so it's good to have the rules, but also being able to kind of grow your, your understanding of that's that I, you said, started to say something that really struck me about like when you assume the rules and you're, you, you made the example of assuming the guy walking in with the suit and the briefcase is, mm. is a stiff, uptight banker type, mm-hmm. you know, and you said, and so you get back what you put in. Mm. So when you play by the, the rules, even of your own perception, mm-hmm. you do get back what you put in. Mm. Um, that seems to be to, to me to be another limiting factor of the rules as such. Mm. Um, reminds me of, so Taylor Swift made this record called 1989 <clears throat> and it's a pop record mm. and Taylor Swift's the biggest pop star on the planet. Oh, 1989 was, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you heard of her? I, I think I have. Maybe, yeah. maybe. Uh, you might've seen her at the Super Bowl. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> and she started as a country artist and then this 1989 album was her first sort of pivot into pop mm. and it was, you know, it's decidedly a pop album and you hear that album and you're like, yeah, girls in a convertible with sunglasses screaming this at the top of their lungs. Totally. Mm-hmm. It's exactly what this is. And you can dismiss it if you know, you'd like, 
you could say that's all it is if you like. But Ryan Adams, who's a folk Americana kind of guy, prolific songwriter, um, he heard that album and he heard something that no one else did, which was that it, it was a heartbreak album. And so he made, he decided to cover the entire album and he put out Ryan Adams, 1989 and sang Taylor Swift's album front to back song for song, lyric for lyric. And it is a wildly different album. The tone of it is, will bring you to tears. The lyrics will bring you to tears. And if you go listen to Taylor's version, you're not going to get it. Like you won't get that emotional response because it's presented you know, like the equivalent of the stiff guy in the suit that you're, you're, you're only getting back from him, which you, which your set of rules project onto him. But Ryan was, as a, was able to see through that to something else. And he basically said, you know, it's like, can I retell, um, it's like the version of Romeo and Juliet with Leonardo DiCaprio oh, yeah. and Kate, uh-huh. and it's, like, it's not Kate Winslet. It's, um, what was her Claire name? Dane. Claire Danes. Yes. Yeah. I had a crush on her. Yeah. <laughs> Especially in that movie. Yeah. <sighs> Damn. <laughs> um, it's like, can I retell this story mm. essentially with like a post apocalyptic or, or almost like Gotham city style mm-hmm. grungy modern edge. Yeah. And he did. And you got something else out of it. Mm. You know, we all had to read Romeo and Juliet in school as we were growing up. And it was, like eating milk toast with no milk, mm-hmm. you know, you just powered through it. Like what, what the <laughs> hell is this guy on about? Yeah. What is he talking about? You know? Mm-hmm. Um, but he was able to retell the story in a way that, well, it was like one of the most popular movies of that year. And mm-hmm. I think Ryan Adams was able to re-sing Taylor's songs word for word and show us all something that we didn't see mm-hmm. when we listened to it in the, in the pop. And I think, all that goes to show that we need artists to show us the things that are there that we are blind to mm. the ship approaching the shore that we can't see mm. and to reveal to us the limiting and insufficient nature of the rule set that we are following implicitly. Yeah. I think, uh, I think working in customer service at coffee shops has been, that's really taught me a lot about my perceptions of people and how wrong I am most of the time. Yeah. You know, it, generally speaking, yeah, you can kind of nail down generalities about people, I think, but the depths you just, you'll just never experience the depth if you just stay on the general, you know, like, so, like someone, uh, people just always surprise you once you kind of scratch below the surface. And yeah. again, I think generalities are helpful but I think that's the thing is like, it's to help you kind of get, kind of give, give you like a framework to work with and then dive down deeper. And it's almost like it's taught me is that there's a lot more than what people present. And sometimes they don't even know what they have. They don't even know what they, they have to offer. And I would say that for most people, they really don't even know what they have to offer. And that's when something I've always found intriguing. Something I learned at Metro Espresso bar was, um, in, in the late nineties was that when you start digging and asking questions and people start discovering things about themselves that they already knew, but didn't know they knew. Yeah. And I, lo- I just love that feeling. It's sort of like, 
they're saying it for the first time, but they've known it for a long time. Mm. You get to discover it together. You get to discover it together. Yeah. yeah. It's just, it's just so, it's really beautiful. And I think there's just so much of that in people that, uh, I mean, again, it's kind of what we do on the podcast too. I mean, you know, I've had numerous conversations, but still it's like, like I'm discovering things about how you think and see, th- see things, you know, as we discuss and dig deeper, you know, and I ask you for clarity about things. And so it's really like, you know, whether it's my wife who I've known for many years is like just probing beyond that surface level, you know? Yeah. GK Chesterton in his book, Orthodoxy, which is one of my favorite books, sets up a thought experiment where he says, can you imagine a man who is an explorer and he sets out from Brighton you know, or some coastal town in England. I don't know if Brighton's a coastal town, but he sets out to discover the new world. But essentially he's kind of an idiot and he's not a very good sailor or navigator. And he sets out and sails, you know, into the unknown and ends up sailing right back to where he started. Hmm. But he doesn't know that because he, you know, he's not that good of a sailor. He thought he was going to discover a new world and he lands and, simultaneously experiences the sheer awe and terror of Mm. discovering a new world and then the immediate comfort of being home all in one moment. Mm. There's something about that, like as you talked about discovering the things that you know, but you don't know that you know them Mm -hmm. (laughs) that describes that to me Mm -hmm. and discovering those things is at once wonderful because you know that you because you discover that you already knew them Hmm. and also terrifying because how was I such, I thought I was discovering something new. And then I realized that I knew that I knew it, but I didn't know that I knew it. And how much do I not know about myself and how terrible of a sailor am I actually? And you know, (laughs) yeah. Well, it's like being a tourist in your own town too. Uh, Like in 2008, I've been here for 12 years and, uh, my staff got Alice and I night at the Driscoll for Christmas one year. And it was really, it was really cool. And Alice and I just encountered Austin, you know, from a hotel room Mm. as if we were tourists, you know? Yeah. And I did, I saw Austin in a completely different way, like from more of the eyes of somebody visiting than somebody who has lived here. And it's just interesting how, if you just change your perspective just a little bit, you can experience the same thing in multiple ways, you know? Um, But again, me as living in Austin, it's like, there's a certain subset of rules that I follow that give me navigation of the city, you know, and how I experience it and how I take things in. It's like, but so it's kind of nice to kind of put that aside of like, you know, here's what I do. I'm also very, very stuck in my ways. So (laughs) probably other people a little bit more, more explorers, generally speaking in general. Well, you talk about that a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, we've talked about that before, Mm -hmm. how how you get ingrained in certain patterns and that experience blinds you. And if you start struggling with something, whether it's, you know, your own head or some problem that you're working on, often Mm -hmm. if you, you know, you just make a simple tweak. Like I always walk on this side of the street Mm -hmm. we'll just walk on the other side. Mm -hmm. It, It has this profound effect to change the way that you see almost everything. Yeah. Um, I wanted to play you this little audio clip. It's exact. It's about exactly what we're talking about. And I found it to be really inspiring. Hmm. Okay. 
It's about what about this. trauma? Essentially, you're finding an excuse. No, that's not. Damn it. I didn't save the right one. It was the same guy, whoever this guy is. I messed it up. That was a nice moment. <laughs> I thought you were going to play the, the clip of my socks. <laughs> whoever that guy is. Uh, what about trauma? Essentially, you're finding an excuse. Sadhguru. Oh, yeah. So you can look him up. Yeah. Well, he was making the point that he said you could try this experiment where, you know, all of the troubles that you have, all the things that you think about yourself, all the things that you think about your wife and your kids and your boss and your job and Mm -hmm. all the people that you know, lay down at bed tonight and just let it all go. Hmm. Let go of all of it. And when you wake up in the morning, try to see everything as if you don't know it. Like see it as it's fresh. And he said, you will start to see possibilities everywhere. Hmm. I like that. And other people will be seeing the same old thing and the same old problems and the same old troubles. Hmm. And instead you'll see possibilities. And he said, it's a lot of work. He said, you might be able to maintain that mindset for the first 30 minutes you wake up or maybe the first hour. But if you could do it for half a day, for a whole day, how much would your life transform? Hmm something like that. And I thought it is, I mean, the Bible talks about seeing things like a child Mm. and isn't that what that is? Yeah. And you talked about it just now as seeing things as a tourist. Mm -hmm. It's like admitting to yourself that the way I'm seeing things is blinding me to almost most of what those things are because I'm, I'm seeing them from the ruts of the, uh, of the road that my carriage has been going down every day, back and forth. Let me ask this question because uh, I see that the value of that and just kind of like maybe roll the other side of this is, is there times where you, you need to not, you need to stay away from novelty and focus on the rules like I think of you playing scales, like it's, it's, it's like, if you don't, if you don't sometimes come back and, or even just like, Hey, I'm going to show up to work on time today, you know, like, you know, following a more rules based regiment in parts of your life, because it'll help you to explore more later on. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like, does, does there seem like to maybe to be some sort of like ebb and flow? Cause it's, there's kind of this romantic idea. And also you kind of hear this from, uh, it, it's kind of maybe even, even kind of new agey kind of sounding a little bit as sort of like, you know, you know, follow your energy and be open and, you know, th- this sort of like open to the world. And, and that's good. And, and I think there's a, there's a, there's a place for that, but there's also a place of, you need to find your center. You need to find, a, a, a workable rule base that you can then explore from also. Mm-hmm. And, and again, not, I'm not talking about rigid rules, but I'm talking about like a, just at least a working set of rules. And, you know, I've kind of hit on different parts of this over the years, as far as, you know, whether it's coming out of like a traumatic situation where, you know, Hey, I need to get up I need to eat. I need to do some, some sort of physical exercise, you know, I need to get out of the house or whatever it might be. Like I'm going to do these things because I can't function otherwise. Right. And, and I, I, 
I have some things I do in morning time and that kind of stuff that that's that way. But so there's just, there's a sort of like kind of knowing that's hard because I think sometimes I find that you get stuck in one side or the other and you almost get the other side demands you back, you know, where yeah. you're too, you're too open and you need to come back and really like, you know, put some like stakes in the ground and, and mm-hmm. ground yourself in some things that are tangible that, that you can see progress from, you know? Right. Was that, was that clear? I, I, I was just kind of, I, I, there was, I just kept kind of seeing like, as we're talking, we're kind of going back and forth between these, these two ideas, you know? Well, I, yes, it makes sense. And also, no, it doesn't make sense. And it doesn't because I think it might be one of the deepest questions you can possibly ask. Mm. I, I think that the overarching narrative of the Bible Hmm. itself is concerned with that very question. Hmm. You know, the old Testament is about the establishment of rules Mm -hmm. and the new Testament is an acknowledgement that that set of rules fucked everybody over. And so we need to get rid of the rules and then that fucked everybody over. And so it's like, well, what do we do? Is it rules or no rules? And Mm -hmm. the answer is something like it isn't, it's the yin and the yang. It's the, it's the competing interests of the rules against freedom and creativity and both are needed. You can't have freedom and creativity without rules. I mean, Mm -hmm. it sounds paradoxical, but you really can't. And without freedom and creativity rules are death. Mm. And so I don't know how you mitigate it, but mitigate it. You must. I mean, I think that's, that's, that's the human experience Mm. is mitigating between those, those two things. as a human, you are the thing that mitigates between the order and the chaos. Mm. And I have a a thought experiment. I sometimes play in my head that I call the Joe Rogan experience. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. Um, It's a board game. (laughs) Yeah. Well, the thought experiment is something like, what if tomorrow I woke up and I only did exactly what I wanted to do? And the question is, <laughs> would things get better or worse? Hmm. If they get better, how much better? If they get worse, how much worse? Hmm. I mean, it might be the case that if I wake up in the morning and only do exactly what I want to do, I'm dead by the end of the day. And so is the rest of my family and all of my, everything that I've ever worked for is destroyed. I mean, really, things can get bad that quickly mm-hmm. as the result of hedonism, which is exactly, is basically what I'm describing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but it is possible that if you do exactly what you want to do, things get better because maybe you are too beholden to the rules mm-hmm. and you have no creativity in your life. And what you need is to break some goddamn rules and, mm-hmm. and be a personality, be an individual that has something unique to say. Mm-hmm and give that offering to the world and the world becomes a better place because of it. And I think I play that thought experiment in my head because if you don't know the answer to the question of whether things will get better or worse as a result of me doing what I want to do, then I don't know who I am and I have some figuring of myself to do. 
figuring out of myself to do. Because, you know, figuring out what it is that you want to do, like I, I, I pose that thought experiment and it's sort of like, well, what you want to do is obvious, but it isn't. Because if you start to imagine that, mm -hmm. um, you know, maybe I might say, well, what I want to do is to take a vacation. Like I'm totally overwhelmed. I want to take a break tomorrow. I don't want to work. And I really just, I want to start drinking rosé in the morning and, you know, Sunday, fun day on a Thursday. And okay, that's what you want to do. Great. And you sort of play that out. You know, what happens by the end of the day? Hmm. You know, maybe you're, you've done damage to your employment prospects. Maybe you weren't able to pick your kids up from school. Maybe, you know, so it's like, is that really what you want? And you have to go, no, actually, I don't want that outcome. So hmm. maybe I don't want to do that thing in the first place. So what now, what do I want to do? And it forces you to align to a longer term version of what you want. Hmm. And I call this the Joe Rogan experience because he talks about, he has said before that he's got enough money. He's got fuck you money. And he's like, I, I don't, he, I think he said, I don't do anything I don't want to do. Mm -hmm. And the thing is my experience of him is that seems true. And, and not that, I mean, it seems to me like the man puts out, you know, what, 12 to 20 hours of, podcast content a week, you know, mm -hmm. while running a, a comedy club in Austin, while being a UFC commentator, I've never seen that man do anything. And as I was watching him do it, thought it doesn't really seem like he wants to be doing that. Mm. You know, I, th I think he genuinely, genuinely wants to be doing the things he's doing. Mm -hmm. He's filled his life with the things he wants to do. And that's not an easy task. To the extent that Joe Rogan is an, in, an enviable person, that's what I envy about him. Hmm. Like he's had the discipline. I think that, I think that takes discipline because yeah. I think Joe Rogan would say to you, well, I also have some non-negotiables. Like I'm getting in the cold tub. I'm getting in the sauna. I have to work out every day. Mm -hmm. He says things like that so that I can fill my life with all the things I want. Uh, I think you're hitting on something really, I think you have to have those things like here are the things I know that will help me be successful so that I can do the things I want to do. Yeah. So they might not be things that I don't necessarily want to do them, but they afford me to do the things I want to do. Right. And then you actually end up enjoying them too, because you feel the, the, uh, the fruit of having those disciplines in your life and that it affords you to do the things you want to do. Uh, cause there is that sort of idea of like, Oh, I just want to do, whatever I want to do. It's like, well, are you willing to do the things you might not want to do in order to do those things? And yeah, and there's, there's a, there's a trade-off in all that. Uh, there's a great documentary called how to build a band. And it's about, uh, this guy, Chris Thiele and the band, the punch brothers. Fantastic. And another great exploration into, uh, reimagining genres. So he is, he's a bluegrass musician. He's uh, the best mandolin player in the world, probably oh. one of the best musicians in the world. Hmm. It's kind of up there with Yo-Yo Ma kind of thing, but he's oh. a bluegrass guy. Mm -hmm. He, I think was the first musician to win the MacArthur genius grant. Um, he also took over Prairie Home Companion from uh, what's his name when he got me too. Mm -hmm. Chris Thiele, he's a fascinating guy as a musician. I'm just, I love listening to him play. And one of the th reasons I love listening to him play is when you watch him play, I mean, he's a virtuoso. He's mm. incredible. He's doing things that you 
can't really imagine how they're possible. But the, the other thing, though, is the joy on his face hmm. when you watch him play is incredible. He's exuding, like he's riding a wave. He's not executing rules. He's riding a wave, hmm. a wave of, of joy and of creation. And, and the thing is that there's something underneath of that, which he talks about in this documentary about the Punch Brothers. And he says something like, you know, people, maybe somebody asks him, like, how, how much should I practice my instrument? And his answer is, you should always be practicing. Hmm. He said, if you go to the toilet to take a shit, that's an opportunity to practice. Hmm. You know, the rest of us are on our phones and Chris Thiele is taking his mandolin into the bathroom and practicing Bach when he's taking a shit. <laughs> you know, there's a, there's a great saying about like, you know, be careful who you envy because you, you probably wouldn't want to live the life that they have had to live to have what they have, yeah. you know? And that seems to me like one of those things, but I think he did discover that it's like the more he pours in to the discipline, the more of his time he sacrifices to this, the more joy he gets out of the things he gets to do with it. Mm. And the rest of us are astounded, you know, but it's that discipline that's undermining the joy. And I think both grow together. Mm. The more you experience joy in playing an instrument, the more you experience joy in being disciplined to practice scales, the more you enjoy poetry and great authors, the more likely you are to pick up a, a book of grammar rules, mm. you know, or literally read a thesaurus, yeah. <laughs> totally. you know, uh -huh. just for the pleasure of it. Mm -hmm. Because you start seeing underneath what, what is bringing the joy and you want to start pouring into the foundation of it. I think that's the thing with entrepreneurs. Like, I think that's something I've always, it's always been hard for me to quantify. Like, like someone asked me, like, how much do you work a week? It's like, I don't really, I never know how to answer that question because there's so many things that it might not look like work, but it's, it's contributing to that. Like, you know, when I read, different books, even fiction or not, uh, yeah, even fiction, there's an element of work that's, that, that, that comes out of that as far as like applies to my work, you know, mm -hmm. as far as like understanding people and characters and situations and how people, how characters handle adversity. And, you know, so I, so it's, it seems so ridiculous. And to think that like I'm sitting here reading a fiction book and it's like, I'm also working at the same time, but I'm also enjoying it. And I feel like there's just so many parts of that. It's like, how do you, you know, I'm a, I'm a no, I'm a no, not anywhere close to the guy you were talking about, but I do kind of catch that sort of idea that, you know, like what is, what is work? You know, what is, what is practicing? You know, it's like, it's really, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a lifestyle, you know, like how you, you know, whether it be, interacting with your wife or with your kids or with your friends. And it's like, it's like all these things are so interrelated that it's all practicing, you know, and also play, mm. you know, you know, part of what you and I are doing right now is also we're practicing, but we're also playing. And, and I think that's, I think the more those things marry kind of the more fulfilling your life is too. Well, I think that 
you know, and this, this is not my idea. Other people have said this, mm-hmm. but the, the more aligned you are to some sort of long-term vision, mm-hmm. the more the idea of work and life or work and play mm-hmm. become indistinguishable. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think that's why you should play a thought experiment like the Joe Rogan experience. Like, mm-hmm. you know, if you are living a life of exchanging your time for something else, mm-hmm. which is generally what we think of as work, you know, but it, 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 if you think of things that way, it becomes easy to think of everything that way. Mm-hmm. It's like you start thinking of your family time that way too. Mm-hmm. It's transactional. I'm going to exchange my time for the benefit of my family, mm-hmm. whether I'm at work or I'm at home cooking or putting them to bed or what spending time with my wife, I'm going to go on a date because I'm exchanging this time for a quote unquote healthy relationship. Mm -hmm. And I think that you'll find that all of that wilts on the vine, Mm. you know, but there's another way to be. And I think of Jacob in the old Testament, he gets thrown into jail after Joseph. Yeah. Oh, Joseph. Yeah. Mm -hmm. After a number of other calamities. Mm -hmm. And then he ends up running the jail by virtue of the fact that he was such a good prisoner. <laughs> so, you know, it's like, so was he actually in jail? Mm-hmm. Was he ever in jail? Yeah. You know, I love that. It, it begs the question of, mm-hmm. you know, it's back to the idea of rules. It's like, if you accept the rules that are placed upon your, mm-hmm. upon you, then you are a subject of those rules. Yeah. You're a slave. You're a slave. Mm-hmm. And, but if you learn the rules, and prove that you know them by adhering to them and then play with them in a productive and creative way. Mm. All of a sudden you're not in prison anymore. The prison is yours. Mm-hmm. And that's, that seems to me to be the same thing as a longer view of values, a longer view of desire and what you want tends to have this inverting effect where work doesn't feel like work anymore. Mm work and life, work and play start to feel like the same thing. Mm. And that has this transcendent effect Mm. where you go from being thrown in a pit by your murderous brothers to ruling the only land that isn't dying of starvation. Mm. I love this because, you know, as you're describing all these things, it's, I can see in my life different places where like I am, succumbing to rules and following rules in order to check boxes, you know, in other places where there's a creativity and there's also another aspect kind of where the creativity of knowing the rules and being able to bend and, and, and experiment with them. Mm -hmm. And then also another, another, I don't know if this is probably the other side of it, but there's a, an apathy that, I want to just check out from everything, you know, like I don't want to play by anybody's rules. I don't want to have, you know, I don't want to be told what to do. I just want to kind of just be, you know? Um, and again, I don't know if that's the, I don't know if that's the, the juxt- the juxtaposition, but I guess I see more of the, the first two clear, more clear as far as like, okay, I know the rules. I'm going to play by the rules because I know at least I'll have be, I'll be doing what is expected of me quotes, you know? Yeah. And then also I feel like I experienced that space of sort of like knowing the rules, but also being able to play and, and experiment and sort of bend and, and create new levels of, of rules. But I'm trying to think what the other side of that is, you know, 
where you know the complete rule follower and on the other side uh, is the do you do you have a word for that or do you even see what i'm kind of trying to i'm trying to paint that picture like i'm trying to paint the picture of like sort of order and chaos order yeah. is just rules chaos is just something else and then the, the marriage of order and chaos is this beautiful dance yeah. where things are discovered well i think the opposite of the rule follower would be the rule breaker hmm. the the one who takes pleasure in the breaking of the rules hmm. you know that could be for its own sake yeah yeah because it because because in some like luciferian way it it's pleasurable to the individual hmm. or um it could just be a desire to throw off all tyranny hmm. It could be apathy, as you said. It could be pure exhaustion. Mm -hmm. It could be revenge against the idea of rules themselves. Hmm. I mean, it, it, well, it's, it is uh, the great mother. Hmm. It's almost, I think we're having trouble describing, it's like easy enough to say the rule follower. We mm -hmm. all know who that is. Yeah. That annoying little bitch of a kid, you know? Uh, and we hate that kid. <laughs> But the other one is harder to describe because the other one is represented by chaos and chaos is represented by the unknown. Hmm. Chaos is represented by all that there is or ever could be. Hmm. So how do you represent it? Mm -hmm. It's hard. Yeah. But it isn't one or the other. You pit those things against each other. And I think this is why we have a fundamental concept of, uh, masculinity and femininity mm. and why these things show up in languages, for example, why we have what we would now call gendered words. Mm. They're more like sexed words because when you pit the order and the chaos against one another, they conceive mm. and something new emerges, which is almost inconceivable. Mm -hmm. You put those two things together and something new happens. You put the deathly tyranny of destructive rules mm -hmm. against the horrific expansion of everything there ever could be. And when they meet a new life happens. Hmm. And it, you, you said it's a dance between the two. I think it's more like sexual intercourse. Hmm. No, I think that's it. That's which good. is why I was trying to say, that's why we put masculine and infinity on those things. Mm hmm. Because when, when they meet, it is like sex mm -hmm. and something happens, something is conceived. Yeah. Which is beautiful. Mm -hmm. It's a miracle, really. Yeah. Yeah, I guess on the other side of like just the chaos is really just the tearing down, the tearing down of things like anarchy, you know, if you put like um, dictatorship and the other side is an complete anarchy, mm -hmm. you know, no rules, no authority. Um, you know, nobody knows how to interact with each other. Nobody knows how to engage. Nobody right. knows, you know, an instrument has no meaning because, um, there's nothing there to extract. You know, I think that's yeah. something that that's, that's the chaos is, it's it's very difficult. The only the only way that you are able to extract anything from chaos is to is to start forming 
language and rules and ex- explanatory measures to touch what chaos is, you know? Oh man. What's up? But the rules are never sufficient. You know, see, it's like see if I can round, round up this thought. Mm-hmm. As you were talking about the rules of an instrument, and I thought, well, that's interesting because we do have rules around instruments. Mm-hmm. For example, a guitar has a certain tuning. Does it have to have that tuning? No, it's in some way arbitrary. We all play in the same tuning, but we have that rule so that we can all play together. Mm. You know, if everybody has their guitar tuned differently, we're going to have a really difficult time playing together. Mm. And playing together is much more fun than playing by yourself, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so do people play in alternate tunings? Yeah, all the time, because it's a great way to explore. Mm. Is somebody, if I show up to play guitar with you and you're in standard tuning and I'm in some tuning I invented, you know, at midnight last night, am I going to have a hard time playing with you? Mm. Maybe. But... Here's another idea. I think it was Miles Davis said, there's no such thing as a wrong note. And he follows that up with some part that I can't remember, but the whole point is that if you are good enough at your instrument, and if you understand the rules enough, there's no such thing as a wrong note. Because Mm -hmm. if I play a wrong note, I can immediately know that it's wrong and how to resolve it into the next note, Mm. which will be more right. Mm. And your ear won't even perceive it as a wrong note. Mm. Your ear will perceive it as dissonance, which moves towards resolve. Mm. And you're going to go, how the hell did you come up with that? Mm. Crazy lick. Yeah. You know, no one would have ever thought of that. And I think this is the whole idea, the, the conundrum, which I earlier characterized as the the problem that the whole book of the Bible is trying to deal with. It's like, what is it? Rules or no rules? Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, it's no rules. But it's only no rules because you have been freed from the rules by having mastered the rules. Mm-hmm. Something like that. Mm-hmm. So if I can if I can master the guitar essentially, it doesn't matter what tuning you're in and what tuning I'm in. I'll figure that out immediately hmm. by virtue of breaking a rule, essentially playing a wrong note, but I'm going to, I'm going to bend that into a really cool thing, mm-hmm. you know, and within a couple of notes, I'm going to have figured out what you're doing and what I'm doing. And we start to play with that in this new creative way. Hmm. And yeah, those make the best relationships too. I mean, when I think of, you know, you know, we're having a, a customer interaction and let's just say like the customer plays the wrong note and you play a different, you play a different note that sort of like complements it and it kind of surprises them. You know, it's like somebody who, like I always love it, like people who do not want to be in a good mood and they come in and, and then you just, they play the, like, uh, I don't know, I don't know anything about music, but they play the wrong note, but you play something that's complementary to it and it kind of like, they kind of all of a sudden they want to play along, you know? And I think that's something that's really beautiful as far as like, I think those who are masterful, uh, I've met, you know, quite a few people that are, that are just masterful in the way that they communicate with you that like you might play a note that tries to push them away and then they play a different note and you're like, okay, I'm going to stick around a little bit, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, (laughs) totally. I thought I was pushing you away, but the way that you, Received that push actually pulled me in. Uh-huh. Yeah. 
I love that you brought the word relationship into it because you might imagine like what kind of relationship has the most rules. Mm. And I think immediately it's a husband and a wife. Yeah. We have a ton of rules around that Mm. kind of relationship. Yeah. And yet the whole point of marriage is to create the kind of relationship in which there are no rules Mm. in which I can tell you my wife or a wife can tell her husband, here's what I think actually Mm. truly even when I, I'm wrestling with what I don't even know what I think. Hmm. Like I can be haphazard, essentially. I hmm. can be, you know, throw the rule book to the wind so that I can actually figure some shit out. You know, mm-hmm. it's Peterson saying, marriage is saying, essentially, I'm not going to leave. Hmm. No, you can show me your whole self hmm. and you're horribly fucked up. Mm-hmm. I'm going to look. And I'm not going to leave. Hmm. And I don't know if you, if that's properly characterized as having the most rules or the least rules. Like that, that, that whole thing seems to start expanding into this back into this idea of ordering chaos, the yin and the yang. It's hmm. like when they come together, it isn't about either of them. It isn't yeah. about rules or no rules. Mm-hmm. It's about the optimal environment in which something new can happen. Mm -hmm. That's what we're after. Yeah. Hmm. That's good. I kind of want to stop there. That was, I think that was, it's got me like kind of pondering on that. I I think I definitely want to think on that because there's that, that relationship is really interesting to me. Well, Hey, yeah. It's the shores, baby. Yeah, the shores. Love you guys. <laughs> Cheers. Thanks Cheers. for being with us, y'all. <laughs> Sorry about being abrupt, but I was like, I don't know. That's a good one. It was time. Yeah, it was like, it was like, it was a good, like, meditative moment. It's like a little uh, sorbet at the end of the meal. Exactly, yeah. I might still be hungry, but we should be done. Yeah. It's, it's cleansing the palate. I'm like,